Welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. Plug in, relax, and get ready for the goodness as we explore the traits and practices that can help you thrive in life. With your host, Kim Forrester. How often in your busy life do you stop to smell the roses? To be still, quiet, to be truly present. Tom Cronin is a renowned Australian author, speaker, and meditation teacher. He is the creator and executive producer of the upcoming movie, The Portal, and he's the founder of The Stillness Project, a global movement which seeks to inspire one billion people to meditate daily. Now, it is a delight to be connecting with Tom today to talk about the astounding benefits of meditation and to learn more about how we can embrace and enhance stillness in our noisy, busy lives. Good evening, Tom. It's so wonderful to have you here with me. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Now, I wanted to start by going through some of your backstory because I think many people would assume that meditation only works for people who are already naturally very zen-like and very laid back. But when you found meditation you were in the midst of some very dark, very stressful years in your life. So can you tell me more about where you were at in your life when you discovered meditation and how stillness has changed your life? Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing that you brought up there, you know, particularly for a lot of people that think, oh, there's no way I could meditate, I'm way too stressed. And I always liken it to I'm too unhealthy to go to the gym or exercise, you know, I need to get healthier first. It's kind of like that's why you go to the gym. and. Um, you know, for me, I was incredibly stressed when I started to meditate. I, I had incredible insomnia. Uh, it would take me hours to fall asleep. I had a mind that ran a million miles an hour. I worked on a trading room floor. So really picture the film Wolf of Wall Street and imagine a massive trading room floor of 150 guys yelling and screaming back in the late 80s trading, you know, multitude of different products from currencies and swaps and bonds and bank bills and cash. And um, it was frenetic and fast and furious and throw onto that fire a mix of, you know, drugs and alcohol and incredibly late nights taking bankers out to expensive wine clubs and restaurants and nightclubs. Um, and I just, it just was like so overwhelming for my nervous system. And then come the weekends, you know, most of the traders and brokers in the industry pretty much would just be sleeping most of the weekend and, you know, resting or playing golf. But I got very much involved in the sort of late 80s, early 90s rave culture, which was big warehouse parties in industrial estates of Sydney. And so I spent my weekends, you know, doing more drugs and doing more partying with, you know, massive warehouse parties till dawn on a Sunday and then going to recovery party all day Sunday. So my body just had no respite. My nervous system had no rest. And that created a, a, a major catalyst for change through symptoms. You know, your body's an amazing vehicle that is always giving you communication about need to change and mm -hmm. a symptom is that. So for me, you know, it was depression, anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, eventually agoraphobia, which is that inability to leave the house. So uh, that's where I was at when I discovered meditation. Thankfully, that's what I discovered at that particular point in time. I was seeing doctors. I was seeing psychiatrists. I was put on pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, I was literally in the midst of a full-blown nervous breakdown. So how did you discover meditation in the midst of all of that busyness and, and angst and stress 
and horror. Look, you know, the thing with this in the late 80s, um, well, actually, by that time this had happened, it was early 90s. There's no internet, there's no Google. It's not like you pick up your iPhone or your iPad and you start Googling meditation in Bondi where I lived. And so I was watching a TV documentary at the time and they were doing a documentary story about a property developer in Australia and his success. And there was a tiny little slither of the segment in that story about him using meditation as a device that helped him be successful. And as I watched that, I, I saw him sitting in a chair in a suit of all things, not in lotus, not in robes, just this man in a suit, a very successful businessman, sitting in a room on a chair meditating with his back up supported. And I was like, wow, it was this whole new vision of what meditation could be. And I became so excited and intrigued by this that I actually when picked up, most people who are listening might not even know what this is, but it was a big book, a yellow book that was on the floor that we used to stop our door from closing in the wind called the Yellow Pages. <laughs> and I distinctly remember putting that on the coffee table and opening it up to M for meditation and scrolling through. And I literally started to ring the centers um, around Sydney that offered meditation programs. Uh, and, and that's how I discovered meditation. And I came across number of different techniques but it wasn't until I found one uh, called transcendental meditation that uh, it had a phenomenal impact on my life. Now we were just discussing before the interview about the overwhelming pace of your life at the moment. You've got an awful lot on with the film that we'll get to later on in the interview here. You, you're juggling many balls at the moment. What is the difference now? How has meditation changed the way that you cope with or thrive within the life? that you are leading? No, I want to be really clear. It's, it's not like you suddenly become enlightened when you're a meditator. Um, you know, it definitely made huge impact in my life. I, I, the anxiety went away, the insomnia went away, the depression went away, and I actually went back into my job after having to quit for a while. And I continued on in that job as a broker for 16 more years, the same clients, the same chair, the same company, end up working for that company, the same company for 26 years as a broker. and. Of course, you know, I still had stress along the way. I still had challenges. Now today, I don't work as a broker. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, retreat host, and also film producer. And, um, you know, I still get challenged. I still have uh, times when my body's tired, my nervous system is, is feeling a sense of overwhelm. And um, the thing that happens is quite remarkable is that you increase, firstly, you um, reduce your stress response to, to life. So your stress response that is, um, those uh, symptoms called anxiety or panic or depression or um, just overwhelm uh, starts to reduce. So you can be in the world and have less reactivity to the world, which enables you to be more fully in the world because you stop that sort of great fear and pull and gag. But what also happens simultaneously is as you find yourself having less stress response, you start to go, oh, that's interesting. I can now do more. And so you end up taking on bigger projects, get more creative and start to add more to your life as a result of greater capacity. It's a fine line we walk, I think, along the way um, because I don't want to delude people thinking that all of a sudden you're going to be this enlightened monk, you're never going to have a stress response. And I see some meditators doing what we call mood making. Hey, I'm a meditator, I shouldn't be stressed, but oh my God, underneath I'm really freaking out. Um, it's mm -hmm. It's... It's about being really authentic and true. Um, you will have less stress response, but, you know, we're humans and so we still have some effect of life. Um, it just means that you have 
less effect, um, of, you know, less stress effect, but also you increase your capacity. So you take on greater challenges and greater demands, which is about reaching a fuller potential. You, you reach great potential as a meditator. I think another thing that we expect in our modern age is for us to have instant results, for us to have instant gratification. How long do you feel it took once you started a daily meditation practice for you to be able to step back out into the world again and start reclaiming your health and well-being? Yeah, for me, it was very quick, to be honest with you, and that's what I really loved about this technique. It is a deep meditation that really does have a very powerful effect on the physiology. So the sleep was the major thing that changed very, very quickly. You know, I, I had chronic insomnia, like I said, but, you know, within the first week I was sleeping so deeply and I was literally falling asleep everywhere. You know, I'd be watching TV <laughs> and next thing fall asleep and that had never happened literally in my life. You know, the, the daytime naps would never happen for me because it would always take me too long to fall asleep. But here I was, you know, within minutes uh, just dropping off um, into sleep, which was a really great liberating experience for me. So that was the main thing. Um, within the first week. Within a few weeks, I started to notice my mood started lifting. I started to feel a sense of lightness and happiness coming in within like a few months. And, um, you know, it just continued on and on and on. So, you know, I do make people understand that it's, you know, as, as a teacher, this is a, a lifetime process, you know. Mm. Um, we all brush our teeth every day, um, not because we have holes in our teeth. We brush our teeth to prevent the holes. And so, um, this is what meditation is. It's it's part prevention and part cure. It's interesting you talk about sleeping there because when you talk about finding stillness in your life, you specifically mean meditation. But how is meditation different from being still in other ways? For instance, sitting in front of the TV or reading a book or sleeping. Well, I think the best thing to do is to really understand the meaning of stillness. And stillness means the absence of motion. and what we're talking about here is mental and physiological absence of motion. I can be sitting on the sofa and have physiological absence of motion, um, but I can have a mind that's running a million miles an hour. Now, if that mind is running a million miles an hour, every single thought has a corresponding biochemical reaction within the body. So um, we can have huge levels of cortisol and adrenaline and norepinephrine pumping through our veins whilst we have absence of motion physiologically. Um, now, that's going to be very detrimental to our body. For instance, you know, you can be very still in a movie cinema and watching a film like Paranormal Activity or Saw 3 or, and, and that horror film will be having significant damaging effect on your body, even mm. though physically you're sitting still. So it's important we have mental and physiological stillness at some points in our day, and that's where meditation comes in to actually still the mind. And this is why it's been scientifically proven that the meditations where the mind achieves stillness, a transcendence, the physical body goes into a state of rest that is considered four times deeper metabolically than what we experience when we're sleeping. It's a phenomenally profoundly deep state of physiological rest and that's why my body started to heal quite quickly because of that level of um, rest that I was getting through the mind. There have been some amazing scientific studies that have come out over the last couple of decades about meditation. Obviously, being able to reduce stress and heal from anxiety and depression are some of the symptoms of a daily meditation practice. There's also an increase of compassion and social connection, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's all connected in. When we're in a state of fight flight, we have a response in the physiology and in the biochemistry of the body, 
where we're producing high levels of cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and that's the body interpreting this situation or their current life to be deemed fairly dangerous and precarious. And um, the body's preparing to get out of this dangerous situation. We can't simultaneously be in fight flight, that is sympathetic nervous system state, and parasympathetic nervous system state, which is the rest and digest state. Now, it's been proven during the meditation experience that we reduce the cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and we start to increase oxytocin, serotonin, and melatonin. And so what happens is a biochemistry shift in the body where we start to produce those uh, biochemicals that produce that sensation of lovingness, produce that Mm -hmm. sensation of happiness. Um, we need to get out of the fight flight. We need to get out of sympathetic nervous system state if we want to start feeling experiences of compassion and kindness, tenderness and lovingness. We can't uh, invoke those sensations of lovingness, compassion, empathy, kindness, whilst simultaneously being in fight flight. And so the number one priority, if we want to have a kinder, more loving planet we need to actually reduce the stress symptoms and that needs to be our number one priority right now so what's your advice to people who would say that meditation's just too hard for them find a good teacher <laughs> <laughs> um it, you know there's so many different types of meditation and there's so many different teachers of meditation shop around tie kick test one that eventually works for you. Now, I'm not going to say which one is the best one. I'm not going to say which is the right one. I don't think there is such a thing. I think there's one that you resonate with. But ultimately, I see it time and time again, having taught this for so long and having so many students, that it really is much more impacting when you are taught by a professional. If you want your teeth done, if you want your plumbing done, you know, if you want, um, you know, your electrics done in your house, you know, we see professionals, these people that are qualified. Now, we're dealing with the mind. We're dealing with your body. We're dealing with some of the most important assets that you've got. Um, I would highly recommend seeking out someone that's qualified in this space to guide and support you through the process. Because if you start to learn to meditate, what you're actually doing is you're activating change in your life. Now, some of that change can be not what you expected. Uh, For instance, some of your friendships might change. Mm. Uh, Your interest in work might change. Your interest in food might change. But things will change when you start to meditate. That's the whole point of meditating is that you want to inspire and invoke some change in your life. And some of that change um, you're going to need some support and guidance with because it's going to be a bit confusing. Is it possible to do meditation wrong? Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, And I can give people instruction on how to meditate using the particular style and technique that I've been trained to teach in. And you know, I've had students go, you know what, I, that mantra you gave me, I didn't like it, so I'm using this one. And I'm doing music and I'm doing it this way and I've decided to do it with my eyes open. I'm like, sure, that's fine. You know, you can do whatever you want with the technique. You can adapt it. There's, there's no problems. You know, I don't have any issues if you change it, but I can absolutely assure you, you're not going to get optimal experience from that meditation. You're going to um, lose the, the capacity for that meditation to work effectively. And one final piece of advice for people who are perhaps starting into a daily meditation practice, you're a a father um, and a very busy man. How do you go about finding a quiet or an alone space in your busy family life? Yeah, you know, it's it's a really good point. One of the greatest challenges that I see with our students is just, you know, this constant issue with, oh, my gosh, I just don't have enough time. 
which is not true because we all have got 24 hours, which we've always had uh, through the history of humankind. And that's just a given, you know, that there's always um, that period of time to choose to do whatever we want to do with the same 24 hours. What we've just done is changed our preferences or changed our priorities. It used to be a greater preference to spend a good eight hours lying down horizontal. It used to be a priority to have two um, breaks in a day called morning tea and afternoon tea. It used to be a priority to actually put a full one hour aside for lunch. You know, it's just that our priorities and preferences change. We just want to fill in our gaps in our day with doing and with activity. We've become outcome-oriented, obsessive, narcissistic, almost (laughs) psychopaths at the moment. And um, we've lost that ability to pause and think about what is it that we're actually here to do, and that is to be joyful, be loving, be kind, be gentle, and be fulfilled. Um, we're just searching in places that it doesn't exist, and that's leading to a very discontented society. So I came up with a method called my 7220 method because I was faced with the same dilemma. How am I going to get this into my day? I'm a dad with two mm-hmm. children. I'm a husband. I run multiple businesses. Um, I, how am I going to fit this into my day? Because my day is quite full with lots of activity. And I worked out that every activity is motivated in the quest to be fulfilled. That's why we go into every action, that all in, every action is incentivized to get fulfillment, whether it's cleaning the bathroom floor, doing your grocery shopping, turning up to work, going to the movies, making love. Um, it all provides some way, uh, some outcome of fulfillment. But there I was suffering with depression and anxiety and uh, insomnia, and I was deeply unfulfilled. So I knew I had to change my day, my preferences with my day, and I worked out that every day has 24 hours, and in those 24 hours there's three blocks of 20 minutes. That gives me 72 20-minute segments of day to fulfill myself. And I decided that after doing the research and listening to this wonderful teacher expound the wonderful benefits of meditation, I decided that I needed to find two blocks of 20 minutes in my day. And so what I decided to do was I decided to almost make a mental pie chart of 72 20-minute pieces of pie and to exclude two of those solely and unconditionally for meditation, once in the morning before breakfast and once in the afternoon. I actually just got out of my afternoon meditation literally 15 minutes ago. And um, around sort of 5 o'clock or when I was a broker, it was at the end of the day, so 5.30, I would then go and find a church or a conference room or a boardroom or my parked car in the garage or on the train or either at home, today it was at home on the sofa, and I would sit for 20 minutes and I would close my eyes and meditate. And what I found was that I still had 70, 20-minute segments in my day to do all the other things that I was going to do. Mm. It just so happened that those other 70, 20-minute segments that were designed in the quest to be fulfilled became superfluous because I was already fulfilled through the meditation or finding greater levels of fulfillment through the meditation. I love the idea of you sitting in your car meditating or going off to a church meditating. I think that there is an expectation that we're supposed to meditate, you know, on the beach or in some beautiful sacred space in our home. But what you've actually said there is just find a space that works for you. Oh, yeah. Look, to be honest with the parked car is I would put it up there as one of the top recommended meditation spots. And people go, but it's, you know, they want some beautiful romantic location with candles and incense and sea washing up against rocks by their feet. You know, to be honest with you, the beach is probably one of my lowest ranking places to meditate because 
anywhere where there's a lot of sensory stimulation, it becomes redundant. The whole point of mm. meditation is to withdraw from the senses and to go within and explore the inner world. But, you know, our obsession with the outer world, it just is that the, the ocean's going to do more of that, which is, it, sure, it's nice and it's pretty and it looks good on Instagram, but there's wind and there's sun and there's flies and there's people running past and there's the ocean. And it's, it's not actually that great a place to meditate. A parked car is an enclosed, quiet, comfortable seat that enables you to really surrender your preferences to the outer world and explore the inner world. But it also opens up a realm of possibilities in terms of finding the time within your day to meditate. Because we're talking about mums perhaps who can go to the school pickup 20 minutes earlier and sit in the car and meditate. Or mums and dads who are coming home from a busy day at work sit and park in the garage before you even go inside to say hello to the family and spend that 20 minutes meditating. I love that whole idea, Tom. Yeah, it, it became a big part of our life. You know, my wife and I, you know, we, when the kids were younger, you know, the babysitter would arrive, would be going out to the movies or dinner or something. And, you know, as soon as the babysitter arrives, you know, you spend a while getting ready and feeding the kids. And then mm. you want to talk them through the remote controls and this and that. And the kids need to go to bed. You know, there's no way you're going to get time to meditate. You're in a, in a bit of a fizz. And then we would generally leave 20 minutes early. Uh, we'd pull over in a little side street and just meditate before we walk into the cinema and if it's 10 minutes 15 20 minutes if you're lucky and then you know we've cleansed ourselves of the day cleansed ourselves of the stresses and the night is ours to enjoy and it's just it's just a great technique to um to reset your system and I think one of the other general assumptions about meditation is that we're going to feel amazing every single time we've just spent 20 minutes of stillness. But you have written in the past that sometimes that's not necessarily the case. And sometimes you can come out of a meditation feeling just a little bit angry or a little bit disappointed about being back in the world again. What advice do you have for people if they're having that kind of experience at times when they're meditating? Yeah, you know, the thing with meditation, this is why it's really important we have a teacher or some support mechanism for the meditation experience. Um, Because when the body goes into profoundly deep states of rest, which is what happens in meditation, is the body starts to um, reorganize itself. It starts to throw off stresses. It starts to remove these anomalies that have accumulated through life experiences. Things like fatigue, number one. Um, anger, fear, you know, for me, I had waves of fear would come up during my meditation. Some students can actually have a mild experience of anxiety. I don't want to turn people off because the beauty is that's just a stress that's eradicating, that's removing itself from the body. Your inherent nature is joy, love, and lightness. These are not emotions. Anger is an emotion. Fear is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. These are emotions that are, or energies that are, can get clogged up and stuck in the body. And so what happens in meditation is there's this sort of purifying process. And sometimes the eradication of that energy can give us a mild sensation as it leaves the body. And so what we recommend there is just to sit and allow that dust to settle. Just sit for a good two to five minutes and allow that, uh, that energy sort of just to sort of settle down a little bit. If you want to, if you've got that opportunity to just lie down and, uh, and just do some deep breathing, and what you'll find is that things will normalize. But what you've done there is you've actually removed and eradicated some of that stress that was clogging up in your body so that you can start to feel over time more and more of that true essence of who you are. That's a wonderful way to look at it. As a celebration, perhaps, of a, that you've yeah. released something that no longer serves you. Mm-hmm. 
Tom, you are the creator of an exquisite film that's about to be released later this year called The Portal. And it's about how meditation can help us flourish, not just as individuals, but as an entire planet. What prompted you to make this film? And what's the message that you'd most love people to take away from it? You know, I, I saw the secret and, and, and there was some, I was really moved by the secret and I, it really was impacting me. It was like, wow, you know, this is awesome. But I kind of felt like as I left it, it's like, but what do I do now? You know, what's, what's the next step? And I, I really felt that it left me in the, you know, hanging a little bit. And so I, you know, I, I really had a big vision to inspire a billion people to meditate daily through the stillness project. And we created online programs and coaching programs and ran retreats and did corporate speaking gigs and wrote books. And I felt there was this medium calling out for me, um, this film medium to, to get that message out. And so we, um, we raised some money from some wonderful people and um, who supported the vision. And we filmed six remarkable stories, one in Toronto, some in the USA, and then uh, an amazing one in a Syrian refugee camp in Jordan, a UN rights lawyer who had all been through a crisis moment. And we, we, you know, researched 300 different stories of people that had all had a crisis point in their life and managed to move through that crisis point using stillness or meditation to transcend the limitations and to access a field of creativity that helped them break free of the shackles of deep conditioning and programming that got them into that crisis moment and to move on the other side of that. So the portal kind of represents two things. One is the portal of transcending the boundaries of thought and form, our physical form, and experiencing the unboundedness of, of who we are behind our thoughts and our ego. But also on a macro level, what does humanity look like if we all start to experience greater levels of compassion and love and unity and connectivity with nature? Um, because that's a possibility for us, and we have all the wisdom and all the knowledge to get there. And I believe, and we've got many people in the film that believe there is the possibility for an enlightened society and, and, and we just need to embrace that vision and start to explore that as a possibility and that's what we present in the film. So, yeah, it was a big task that I brought on but we really wanted to inspire people through story, not through lecturing at them, this is what you should do, but just to inspire them through personal experience uh, and see what other people have done and give them a sense of hope that no matter where they are in their life, they've got that possibility as well and it's really quite simple. It's not about doing more. It's about doing less and sitting in stillness. A truly beautiful vision, Tom. And I love that you are, as you say, inspiring through example. I truly believe that's the only way that we can actually change the world is by setting an example that we hope others will follow. Now, finally, on every episode of the Unimonia podcast, I ask my guest for a morning reminder. So I normally ask for a daily ritual or practice that can help my listeners start their day feeling a little more fulfilled and inspired. Now, obviously with you, we're going to talk about meditation, but for people who are super busy or just starting out with meditation or even are a little resistant to the whole idea, can you name one or two simple practices that people can adopt to ease themselves into a daily stillness ritual? Yes, I can. And I'm going to add two things to it. One is a stillness ritual, which is literally just get out of bed First thing I do is brush my teeth. I, I use a tongue scraper, so I scrape my tongue using a, a metal tongue scraper and I drink some water. And then I'll just go and sit. And this can be for one minute. It can be for 10 minutes. But just have a window between getting out of bed and getting into activity, picking up your phone or meeting your children or getting breakfast, 
watching the news, turning on the, the TV. Just sit and get to a chair or sit on the floor cross-legged, whatever you feel comfortable with, and just close your eyes. And it can be as simple as observing the breath moving in and out of your nostrils. This alone is like a centering, a platform, a, a foundation for you to go about your day. And then the other thing that we can do, which is really profound, is to contemplate after that stillness is achieved. Contemplate what do you want to experience, not as an outcome in your day, uh, but what do you want to experience as a feeling in your body through the day? Mm. Get what your day was yesterday. Forget how you feel today right now. But what do you want to experience through the day? Do you want to experience lightness? Do you want to experience joy? Think about the sensation that you would like to embody. This is a very empowering process. And it gives you a bit of autonomy into moving into your day. I love that a lot because by setting that intent early on in the day, you actually empower yourself to choose that exact emotion at points throughout the day. Yeah, it's like a uh, return to base sort of code that you use throughout the day. Fantastic, Tom. Two amazing simple rituals there that people can adopt. How do people get hold of you? What is the website for the Stillness Project? They can simply go to stillnessproject.com www.stillnessproject.com or just go to tomcronin.com and you'll find me at both of those and if they want to follow our journey um, for the film in the interim until we get our websites up and running they can go to theportalmovie.com Tom Cronin thank you so much for sharing your gorgeous energy and your wisdom with us today it's been a pleasure <laughs> it's great to be here thanks so much Kim Morgan Freeman once said learning how to be still to really be still and let life happen, well, that stillness becomes a radiance. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and find those moments of stillness.